0: So I extended the reading there a little bit back to verse 21. I appreciate that. It sets the context, and actually we're going to be looking at that. It makes sense of the parable. So it's Matthew 21, if you've uh, got your Bibles. And next week, it's a double hit, this one. There are two, um, two uh, linked um, parables here, and next week we'll be looking at the parable of the tenants, which comes after it. But today, it's the passage that's just been read. I'm very grateful to you Beth. Doing that. Let's put that there. It's great. All right. So I've got a question. As always, I like to start with a question. If you could bring up the PowerPoint, June. Ah, that's not the question. <laughs> that's the title of the talk. <laughs> Who do you think you are? It's a t- it's a question of indignance. Who? Do you think you are? Who on earth do you think you are? And I don't mean you in that question. As we'll discover later, it was a question that was posed to Jesus. But this is the question I want to ask you. If you saw this sign, which of you here, you're out and about walking, is likely to obey that sign. So let's be honest, please keep off the grass. Who's like, yeah, I'd, I'd respect that sign. You know what's coming next. Who here this morning, and I can't say nobody will see, they will, we're all looking, would probably not obey that sign and might sneak onto the grass. Excellent, excellent, most excellent. Jonathan, good to see you. I didn't realise you were a sign uh, ignorer, that's wonderful. Yeah, I think, I think, hmm, I don't know if I'd obey that sign. I'd like to think I probably would. It probably makes a difference about who put that sign there, doesn't it? Let's be honest. So we're thinking about it. If I was on someone's private land and it said that and I knew the owner had put it there, I'd obey that. I'd respect the owner's authority and wishes to ask me to keep off the grass. If it was in the local park and the council was doing something and they'd put that sign on, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. But what if we were just in the local park and... Just a bunch of youths went, hey, look at this bit of cardboard, wrote on, please keep off the grass. And you saw them, they just shoved it there. Would you obey it then? No. No. Who do they think they are to tell me to keep off the grass? I shall dance on the grass now in defiance, is what I shall do. What if I snuck into your garden and put it on your grass? <laughs> that's such a cool thing to do sneak into someone's garden please keep off the grass whoa who's done that would you obey it of course you wouldn't you'd be like who do you think you are Matt Bradley to put that on my grass get rid of it get rid of it my kids said I asked my kids this I said would you obey it Um, they said when you were looking yeah but then we'd probably sneak on it when you weren't I was like excellent parenting's going well we're doing a good job here um but then I asked them, what if it was at one of the royal palaces and all the soldiers were around and it was by the queen who put it there, royal command. They said, oh, yeah, we would obey that then, daddy, yeah. yeah, we'd obey that then. You see, it's all about authority, actually. Who has the authority to call us to act in certain ways in certain question, uh, certain places? We tend to listen when someone has the authority and the right to legitimately ask us to do something or to command us to do something. But if we think it's a joker who has no authority, we just tend to ignore it. You know, lots of our society is built around this idea of authority. It's what keeps society together in many ways. The very highest symbols of our authority in our country... It's interesting, Brian, that you were praying so much about the country. I appreciate your focus, because um, the nation is uh, in difficulty right now in how we go forward. Um, but the symbol of authority... Um, is found in the House of Commons and in the House of Lords. Um, There's two of them, and they're these things, if I forward it. Can you see, not the speaker, although that is a definite symbol of authority there, but this thing here, the royal mace, that's from Charles II era. um, That sits down at the dispatch box, or the table in between the two sides in Parliament, and it represents the highest authority in the land the royal authority that the Queen has called her parliament together and has permitted them to pass laws. If that thing is physically not there, they are not allowed to, to gather and they're not allowed to pass laws. And there's one... Do you remember, actually? Do you remember that in December somebody picked it up? Do you remember a Labour MP snuck in, It was so despairing uh, in uh, what was going on in the, in the Parliament that day that he went as a massive uh, protest, uh, picked up the symbol of authority, picked it up and tried to march it out of Parliament as if to say, we have lost our authority to govern, guys. This is a mess, what are we doing? Um, of course, the reaction to him was indignance. How dare you touch that? How, who do you think you are to touch that? That is not yours. The speaker was like, no, no, put it back, put it back and commanded him to leave the um, Palace of Westminster for the remainder of the day. Do you know there's only one time when that royal mace or the one in the House of Lords isn't there and it's not needed. When do you think that might be? You're absolutely right. When the Queen herself is present. You don't need the symbol of royal authority when you have... Head of state herself, the queen. And so she sits there, and that's when it's not required. But have a look at this question, uh, at this picture. Everyone is dressed, not just to impress, but to back up this whole concept of authority. These are the symbols and customs and structures. I mean, look at this golden throne. Everything is pointing towards the highest point of authority in our nation which is the throne there and is the sovereign herself sat there with her crown and her beautiful uh, garments and that look at that train, that robe coming down there, the whole thing, this, why does it all exist? It all exists to back up, to reinforce the authority, the highest authority in our land. Now, if you or I were to run in there with our t shirt on and a pair of shorts and sit on that throne and say, "By the way, guys, I think we should have more bank holidays, um, my guess is my guess is that some medieval dressed sergeant at arms would poke a sword near us and get us out rather quickly don 't you who do we think we are to sit there? This is the highest place or one of the, I think arguably the highest point of legal uh, and sovereign authority in our nation, all built up to that. Jesus, the parable today that Jesus told, was actually at the place that represented the highest point of authority in the nation of Israel, religiously and politically at the time, for the Jewish people, not talking about Roman authority, for the Jewish nation, their understanding of what it was, to be in a place of significance and authority. It was the religious and political epicenter. It was Jerusalem, the capital city, and it was the temple precinct itself. And this was the place that backed up all the authority of the chief priests and the leaders and the elders of the land. This was their domain. The trouble is, Jesus had not come into this grand city or into this hugely uh, important, symbolic place, quietly. In the eyes of the leaders, he'd come in very noisily and disregarded the lot. And for them, the question was, who do you think you are, Jesus, to come in here and treat it like this? You see, just a day or two before, he'd ridden into Jerusalem in a very provocative way, on a donkey, with cheering crowds lining the streets like a royal entrance. He'd entered the mighty temple and he'd turned the tables over. Instead of walking around in awe, going, gosh, this is amazing, he'd gone, this is a disgrace, and turned the tables over of the traders, calling it a den of thieves. You've ruined it, he said. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Furthermore, he'd attracted huge crowds, He hadn't come in humbly. The crowds were coming to him for healing, not to the priests. The crowds were coming to him for teaching, not to the scribes and the teachers of the law. And worse of all, in the very temple itself, he allowed the children to dance around him and shout and sing, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. The leaders are indignant. Who on earth do you think you are? Where do you get your authority from? And so they ask him directly, by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? Who gave you this authority? In other words, as they stand in their robes and their priestly hats next to the columns and the colonnades of the temple, the walls of the great temple and all the ritual going on around, all flexing their muscles, if you like, of authority, all of their swagger, They ask him, who on earth do you think you are? Who gives you such authority in this place? You see, through the eyes of humans, Jesus perhaps doesn't have much to back up his authority. Certainly didn't fit in with their idea of authority. There were no human palaces or structures or customs to back up who he was. No royal hats, just he was a humble carpenter's son from a fairly backward northern part of the country that most people didn't bother to visit. Yet Jesus had more authority in that grand temple building than those leaders and priests could ever realise actually. For Jesus was a man who only had to touch a blind man's eyes for him to see. He only had to say the word and the lame could walk. Here was a man who the demons themselves, we read in Scripture, knew of and were afraid of, above all. Here was a man whose word, be still, was listened to by the raging wind and waves themselves. Here was a man who didn't need temples and servants and priests and sacrifices and incense and altars to bring about forgiveness. No, he just said, your sins are forgiven. And they were. You see, unbeknownst to them, there stood there in that place, Jesus, the Son of the living God, the one who was with the Father at the very beginning, the one who spoke the word, for all creation to come into being. The one who sustains it to this very day. But for now, this Jesus, as he stood there, is being accused of being above his station by mere humans. Who do you think you are? By what authority do you have to do these things, they ask? And Jesus, instead of calling down the angels of heaven you want to see my authority? Alright, I'll show you a little bit. Angels of heaven. Instead of commanding the thunder to roar, the mountains to move, the temple to fall, he begins to answer them as Jesus so often did, creatively, humbly. And he first asks them a question and then he tells them a story. Infuriating to so many, I'm sure, who asked him stuff. Okay, let me... Let me ask you a question, he says. Who gave John, that grubby wild man who lived in the wilderness, who gave him the authority to do the baptising he was doing? Did it come from heaven or from earth? Ah, he'd got them with this question. Because, as we heard, if if they said, well, John was nobody, he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing, he shouldn't have been baptising, the people would have been in uproar. John was a prophet, he was a holy man. So they couldn't say that. But if they said, well, he came from heaven, who was it that John witnessed to? John witnessed to Jesus as the Messiah, the one who came after him, whose very sandals he was not worthy to tie. And so Jesus would say, well, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you get baptized? Why don't you believe what he says about me? And so they say, we don't know. Then I shall not tell you where my authority comes from. Jesus says, having clearly answered it, by the way. Um, But he continues to answer it in this parable about two sons asked by their father to work in the family vineyard. There's no doubt for the Pharisees they'll have understood the metaphor of vineyard, meaning Israel, and there's no doubt about it that they would have realised, and it says later on, they realised he was talking about them as one of the sons. The father turns to the first son and he says, will you go out and will you work in the vineyard today? The son simply turns around and goes, No. No, I'm not doing that. But later on, he changes his mind and he goes. The father asks his second son, will you go to the vineyard and work today? The son goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. With all decorum and all, uh, you know, respect. But then later on, he changes his mind and he doesn't bother going at all. So Jesus asks, which one of the two did what the father wanted? And the leader's assuredly reply, the first. The one who said no, but who went. And in their answer hung this painful truth and recognition, actually, that they were not that son. They were like the second son who had not done what the father had wanted. Jesus goes on to explain, despite all their religious authority, it was the tax collectors and the prostitutes that were getting into the kingdom of God in front of them, before them, ahead of them in the ways of the Lord. You are the ones who are missing out, he says, despite all your glorious structures, despite your religious customs, despite your professions of faith. You've said, I will, sir. But you simply have not. You haven't. And you're missing out on the kingdom of God because of it, Jesus is saying. And can you imagine the feeling that they were feeling in that at that moment. Can you imagine just how outrageously rude this seemed to them? You mean all of this, young man, all of this that you see, all of our service, all of our temple duties, all of our many, many hours writing out and studying the law, all of our scriptures and meetings and sacrifices and teachings and these grand pillars and our grand customs, and our grand outfits, all of this, you say, counts for nothing? Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying. How can this be? Well, very simply, because they'd not done what God had asked them to do, whereas many of the prostitutes and the tax collectors had. You see, John had come, and told them that God's kingdom was near. Come and be baptised. The Pharisees had rejected that. John had come and said the Messiah's coming. The Pharisees had gone now. They hadn't believed it. But the prostitutes and the tax collectors had, and they were willing to follow, and they were baptised. God was speaking, and the ordinary sinful people had heard him and obeyed. The religious authorities wanted nothing to do with it. I'm about to give you a hugely profound piece of advice. I know that sounds quite an important moment, doesn't it? Brace yourselves, this is hugely profound. Hugely profound, okay. Um, Are you ready? It's the culmination of all I know and all I've been taught. And it's this, if you love and trust Jesus, if he's saying something to you, then do it you go you like that if god is calling you to do something then do it this may seem simple but i know for all of us it raises lots of questions and lots of lots of issues and problems can i hear him first of all can i know that god is speaking to me um well i want to say to you yes you can hear the Lord speaking to you. You say, How? I don't know. I've never heard an audible voice. But if you're a Christian this morning, if you heard the call of God in your life and you turned your life around and you gave your heart to Jesus, then you heard him. He spoke to you and you responded. You can hear the Lord. You may think, Oh, well, others can. I can't. You can too. Scripture says that Jesus uh, speaks to his people. My sheep know my voice. He said, I've sent my spirit so that he may teach you and remind you of my things. The Lord wants to speak to you. He does speak to you. It might be a, a sense as you're reading scripture. It might be, um, it might be a prompting. It might be uh, feel like your conscience sometimes that, no, this is the thing I should be doing. So you can hear from the Lord in many, many different ways. The problem is, even if we think we've heard something, it doesn't mean we've always got that right. Our own passions and our feelings can get in the way, can't they? So, how do I know it's him speaking? Well, and I'm rushing through these two points, but really, it's always going to be consistent with Scripture. It's always going to be consistent with his revelation in Jesus. Anything he asks you or I to do will be consistent with Jesus' ways of the kingdom, with his ways of love and humility and grace, his ways that are working for peace, his ways that put Jesus in the centre So if you think God's speaking to you, you're not sure, go to scripture. Go to one another. Seek another person. I Just sense this. Could it be? He's asking you to do something violent or atrocious. I would suggest it's not him. I would suggest you've misheard. I'd say you come together and you pray together and you seek and find the heart of Jesus together as you look through the scriptures. But God can speak to you and he does speak to you and he's wanting to speak to you and I all the time through his spirit and his word brings truth and life and breakthrough in the most amazing ways his word brings around the stuff of the kingdom yet so often our problem isn't our ability to hear god the problem really is whether or not we're going to do what he's called us to do really that's so often what we struggle with you see the first son said no and i'll rattle through this but the first son said no originally he'd heard the call but he wasn't willing. Why? Let's have a think. No, but yes. Well, firstly, you may have been being plain old-fashioned rude. Lord uh, or, or Father, I, I don't particularly like you. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I couldn't care less about what you've called me to do. And I think for many of people today, they do just hate the idea of God. No. Nah, I don't want anything to do with this religious rubbish. Maybe they've heard the good news about Jesus. They just reject it. I don't want to know, thank you. But perhaps, too, even for us as followers of Jesus, perhaps sometimes we can feel, actually, no, I don't want to do that thing, thank you very much. That may seem below me, or or something that I don't want to get my hands dirty and do that stuff, to sacrificially give. That's not something I want, thank you, to the poor or the broken or the refugee or the outsider. I'm not interested. Perhaps the son said no because of that. Perhaps the son said no because he was afraid. Perhaps he'd counted the cost. It's too much for me to go to the vineyard right now. I'm not sure I can do it. Perhaps he was afraid of failing. Can we be like that too in how we respond to what God says to us? Our immediate response to God's call is, no, not me, Lord. I couldn't do that. I couldn't cope. I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I don't want to do it. Thank you. Somebody else would be better than me. Yet despite all of this, the son changed his mind. He came to his senses. He turned around. It wasn't too late. He hadn't missed his chance. He went and did what the Father asked. And if we have a habit of saying no to God, for whatever reason at all, whether it's pride or fear or cost, it's not too late to turn around and say, okay, Lord, okay. Yes, I will do it. Is there something he's been calling you to? And you know, now as I'm speaking, he has been calling you to something. But you've said no so many times now that you just know that, why would I say anything else? I want to say it's not too late. You can turn around and walk to that vineyard and get going. Perhaps it's the biggest question he'll ever ask you this morning. Perhaps it's whether or not you'll come and follow Jesus and give your heart to him. Perhaps you've just said no to that so many times that you never think you're going to change your mind. Can I say it's not too late? not too late today. If you know Jesus, if you've heard the stories of Jesus, you've heard what he's done, you've heard the good news many a time and you kind of got it but you just said no. But you think, actually, you know what? I'm ready. It's not too late to change your mind and walk towards the vineyard, if you like. This morning, to come and say, Jesus, I hear your call and I'm going to give you my yes and I'm going to follow you. And in that moment, everything changes. Everything's forgiven. Nothing is too bad. It's all gone. A fresh start, new hope, and the start of a journey with Jesus. Let your no become yes today. What about the other one? Yes, but no. Yes, sir. Maybe, why did he say this? Maybe he was just a fraud. Maybe he was just trying to push his dad away. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that, sir, absolutely. A religious show-off, all on the outside. Jesus has made it so clear that we're not to be like that. The cost of that. We miss out on the kingdom, he says here, if we're people that are all a religious pride show, and actually it's not touched our heart, and it's not worked out in the actions of our lives. This morning, if we're like that, our hearts need to change. It's the challenge. But maybe the sun really did intend to go. Maybe his desire was right, but he just got distracted, or he forgot, or he was fearful. Maybe he began to question whether he'd ever thought he'd be able to do such a thing in the first place, or whether he'd really heard the Lord or not. You see, our obedience to God starts with our heart saying yes, brothers and sisters, but then it requires us backing up with our actions, orientating our lives towards following Jesus, not just saying yes, I will, but actually then doing it, scripture says that's how we evidence our faith if we've heard God and we've said yes but we've not yet done it, I want to say again this morning it's not too late, you've not missed it it's not too late because there's nothing better for any of us than to be in the will of Jesus, there's nothing better no job that's better for us no place to live that's better for us than the job and the place that Jesus wants us to be in and has called us to. There's no better moment we can be living than the moment where we are being obedient to Jesus. Why? Well, it all boils down to my original question. Who does he think he is? Well, as we heard this morning, the one who calls us to trust him and be obedient is the one who loves us more than we could ever know. The one who gave everything for us. Everything. For me, yeah. For you, yeah. Whoever you are. When he says, come, come, his will is his best for us. And it is the best for us. And the other reason is because just as he had more authority in that temple to speak than those religious leaders could ever realise, he has more authority to speak into my life and your life than we could ever know. He is the King of the Universe. He is the Lord Supreme. He is the Master. And when he says, we say, yes, I will. Because you love me, And because you're worthy to be obeyed. Because you love me and you have my best. But also because you're Lord and King. And I've handed over my life to you. And I will follow you. So I'll finish with this before we sing our last song. Jesus' final words to the religious leaders were, You've missed the way of righteousness that John had come to show you you missed it guys what is this way of righteousness well John had come to call people to believe that the kingdom was coming to turn their eyes to the Messiah and to be baptised as an example of their obedience and of the washing away of their sins as a metaphor of that and an example of their obedience of reorientating their lives towards God these two things he said you didn't do you didn't believe And you didn't repent. You didn't turn around. This is the way of righteousness that John showed, Jesus said. To believe and repent. To trust and to obey. To hear and to do. That's what the act of baptism was all about with John. And I want to just suggest this morning that that's still what the act of baptism is like for all of us as Christians today. It has been there from the very earliest Christians, this sign of our obedience, not just to pop it in our head or even in our hearts, but to actually live it out with our lives, that step of obedience. And I just want to leave that one with you today. It's the Lord calling you to baptism. It's been a little while it would be lovely to open up those waters again and celebrate with you. If the Lord is calling you today, the most profound advice I can give you is the most simple. Be obedient. Turn towards what he's called you to. And if it's the act of baptism, then we would love to celebrate with you. I'd like to invite you to speak to me after the service or send me an email. Catch me sometime this week and say, yeah, do you know what, Matt? I've been putting it off too long. I'd like to be baptised. So, We're going to respond by singing. If I could ask the band to come up. But today's word is hugely, hugely simple. And actually life-changing. Will you believe and repent again this morning? Will you trust and will you obey this morning? Will you hear the word of the Lord? if he is speaking to you this morning, whether it's to accept him for the first time, whether it's to renew your faith in him and your commitment to him, this morning's the morning. And then will you do it? Will you put it into action and do the thing he's called you to? Let's just pray for a moment.